Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I know y'all think, and I tell people sometimes teasingly, that I'm only 120 years old. But honestly, Aaron and I have ministered together through the years. And in the early service, I said he was just a boy, and he informed me that he's still just a boy. Amen? Oh, it's so nice to have y'all with us today. So nice to have y'all with us. Our message today, if you've got the handout, and we will be projecting here, and that is, is in Galatians, the New Testament, of course, one of the apostles' letters. Galatians chapter 1, keying in on verses 1 through 5, and the title of the message, The Simple Gospel. And, and I know that you listen, and I pray that you will key in even more so today, because right here is a word that when you're given the opportunity to share Christ with somebody, right here's your outline. This is what we need to know. You look at commentaries and they will say things like, this is it, this is the gospel, this is what it's all about. And so we are going to take this moment and remind ourselves of the simple good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, how wonderful to be here and oh my goodness, just a personal word of testimony, how blessed I am. Coming in this morning, I thought, what a privilege. What a privilege to worship here. What a privilege to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And what a privilege in one morning to get to share it a second time. And I praise your name and pray for that anointing. And pray as this goes out to an a audience out there listening in on the radio that all of a sudden, it just becomes very clear, becomes very accessible what Jesus Christ has done for us and that we will respond to him in obedience and joy. Forgive us of our sins, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I open by reading those five verses and the beginning is the apostle's signature, greeting to the churches. And I know that you hang on every word, and when I say that, it's just, you know, because it's in my heart that we hang on every word, and it just really, really brings this to the surface. So he begins by Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me, to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a province and there were multiple churches. To the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord for his precious precious word. Right here, phrase by phrase in verses 4 and 5 is the presentation of the gospel. And it is very powerful because when you read the next verse, verse 6, the churches in Galatia were one of the most challenging churches that he had because the Gnostics and Judaizers 
were very powerful from there and trying to pervert the gospel and trying to add to the gospel. And so this is why the apostle begins with a very concise statement of what we believe. And I've given it in statements or you could turn it into a question. And the first thing of the simple gospel is he tells us what Jesus Christ did for us. And that is, in verse 4, he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. If you were here last week, bear with me as I kind of bring a little bit of closure to the testimony of C.S. Lewis, who began his life as an atheist, and then he moved, an atheist, you know, does not believe that there's a God, and then he moved to theism, and that is where you believe there's a God, but there's not a whole lot you can do about it. There's not a personal relationship there. And how that he moved from theism to becoming a Christian and one of the most powerful voices in communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the very reason that I share this is that C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, reached one of the greatest challenges uh, of embracing the faith, and that is understanding that Jesus Christ could die for the sins of the world and be raised from the dead. And in the late night conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien, and I know we have a diverse audience, but because of movies, a lot of people are familiar with The Lord of the Rings, they're familiar with The Hobbits, and then they're familiar with C.S. Lewis for his Chronicles of Narnia and things like that. And they would sit up late at night and discussing literature. And J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout Christian and a good friend of his, Hugo Dyson, were devout Christians. And they would witness to C.S. Lewis. They would witness to him and try to help him understand Christianity. And so he did move from atheism to believing that there is a God. But when he would contemplate this Jesus dying for the world and rising from the dead, he categorized it as a myth, as a myth that he could not embrace. And in fantasy and fables in the world of mythology, there's a lot of these stories of, quote, gods that die and rise again. And so C.S. Lewis grappled with this, but there was one thing that continued to touch his heart, and that is... We have a sin problem, friends. Amen? We have a sin problem. And there is degradation in the world. And that is a quote of his. There is degradation in the world. And C.S. Lewis would admit, we need miraculous salvation. But he just could not really understand how it happened with Jesus Christ, how his death on the cross was beneficial for the salvation and the forgiveness of sins for the whole world world. What C.S. Lewis did not realize at the moment is that God was after him. Amen. Because when I read that he was studying the book of Romans and particularly was captivated by Romans chapter 6 and in particular verses 9 through 11 knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. 
But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you, you and me, likewise the whole world, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He mulled over that. He could not pass that off. And he began to think about the death of Christ was different than the death of any other mythological creature in his mind. And that is that Jesus Christ invites us to die with him to sin. And he invites us to be raised with his resurrection to life and life eternal. Amen. And Lewis just could not get away from this. And so one morning... I love to give the date, September the 28th, 1931. He and his brother were on their way to a nearby village there in England to a circus. His brother Warney was driving a motorcycle. C.S. Lewis was in a sidecar. He'd been up to three and four in the morning with these literary geniuses who were Christians telling him all about Jesus. And it is fascinating, and everybody has their own unique salvation experience. Don't think you've got to get saved like everybody else, except in Jesus Christ. And so C.S. Lewis says that when I left home, I did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But the little village they were going to called Whipsnade, he said, but when I got to Whipsnade, all of a sudden I realized Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he said, I didn't have any overwhelming emotional experience he said it was like I woke up I was waking up and it was dawning on me Jesus is the son of God and the whole rest of his life was devoted to this Jesus Christ and I found it kind of tongue-in-cheek that the Apostle Paul who persecuted Christians got saved on the road to Damascus, and C.S. Lewis, who persecuted Christianity, got saved on the road to a circus. Amen? I'm telling you, friend, God will get you wherever you are. God will find you wherever you are, and it's up to you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he became what we call, in technical terms, an apologist, but a defender of the faith for the rest of his life in a very powerful, powerful way. And his writings appeal to a kind of an intellectual class. A lot of them do. And some of the powerful people of the world came to know Jesus Christ because of the witness of C.S. Lewis. But the thing was, he had to come to grips with what Jesus Christ did for him and gave himself on the cross for our sin. I think of it this way. These things come back to me, and this is where that I know that, you know, this is the word from God. He's just brought so many memories back to me. And I remember sharing with a little girl some years back. She was ready to make her profession of faith, and I enjoy talking with the children. They don't have to come see me, but I enjoy it tremendously. She was just a little bitty thing. She was of age to know what she was doing, but just a tiny little girl. And she was sitting there in one of those big chairs in my study. And one of the things that I always ask is, what is sin? And they know what sin is. It's doing bad things. And I always connect it with, you know, 
doing what God knows is not in our best interest. And I remind them, and I want to remind you, that I was a little boy at one time. And I did get in trouble. Now, in case you've not seen the paper, I am one of the best-mannered people in town. No, <laughs> but I did get in trouble as a kid. And I would get punished, I can tell you that. And so I asked this little girl, I said, you ever get in trouble? Yeah. You ever get punished? Yes. I said, what would it be like if you got in trouble and you were about to be punished? And she had two sisters. And one of your sisters stepped up and said, Dad, don't punish her, punish me instead. That little thing grabbed the arms of that chair, lifted herself off that seat, and she said, that would freak me out. That little girl grew up to be children's minister at First Baptist Blackshear, amen? But you know what? Jesus dying on the cross just freaked C.S. Lewis out. And in a more crass way, it freaked Martin Luther out, the great reformer. He was heard one day in his study carol as a monk crying for me, for me, for me, and they looked in to see if he was all right. And he was in the Gospels at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he was overwhelmed. He did this for me. Friend, we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem that is destroying our lives, taking our joy, and we cannot deal with it. We need miraculous salvation. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. There's a second part of the simple gospel. Why did Jesus give himself for our sins? Why Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins? And the next phrase is, and I like to continue this, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. The word deliver means rescue us from this present evil age. That he might rescue us. Just about every commentary you read will remind us that Judaism thought in terms of two ages. But it's not just Judaism. We think in those same terms. They thought of the present age, the life that you and I are living. But then they also embraced the age to come, the golden age, the kingdom of God. When the Messiah comes, and things will be a whole lot better than they are now. And so he tells us then that Jesus came to deliver from this age. Now, I find it interesting that, and I find it providential that we begin by singing in the sweet by and by. And then the choir sang when we all get to heaven. And then Aaron sang the midnight cry. Now, if we can't put two and two together, we need some help, amen? Because listen to what I'm about to say. And that is, we can have a very, very, very dark view of life. A very dark view. This came back to me. Must have been when I was about 16 years old. I was driving and I had probably just started preaching. My brother, younger brother Ken played on the football team at the high school. They all carpooled to one of the players' homes and Ken called me to come over there and get him. 
And so when I got there, of all things, these boys, these guys were discussing religion. And one offered the opinion, he said, I don't believe there's a hell. He said, I don't believe there's a hell. He said, I believe hell is on this earth. And he said, because it can't get any worse than this. And I think about him, and his family was really challenged, and they were going through a lot. And in his mind, it couldn't get any worse. It couldn't get any worse than this. Well, I want to tell you, friend, it can, amen, because there is an eternal hell. And so we can think about our life now as, as kind of in the extreme, dark and terrible and horrible. But I want to tell you, there's a way to think about, too, that other age, the age to come, the golden age. If we're not careful, we go to the other extreme and we think about heaven and the kingdom of God as pie in the sky by and by, or we think of it as we are so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. But listen, friend, when Jesus Christ came, when he was born into this world, friend, he brought some heaven with him. Amen? The future, the kingdom of God broke into the present age. Glory to God. And Jesus would tell us the kingdom of God, meaning thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, he would say, it's at hand. It is near you. It is in you. And what he was telling us, because I'm here, because of what I'm going to do, things can really be a lot better here and now. Amen. And so, heaven broke in. I think of it this way, living in Richmond, Virginia so many years ago. Glad I'm not there now. And I was supposed to be with my daughters in Charlotte, North Carolina, and glad I'm not there either. I just got pictures of that. We don't want to be there right now. But we would have what was called Taste of Richmond, and a lot of cities do this. Restaurants would set up little booths, and there, Richmond's such a historical town, down on Canal Street along the James River. And you'd go from booth to booth, and you'd get a little taste of this restaurant, a little taste of that restaurant, a little taste of that. And you know, and their hopes is that you would come and spend a lot of money in their restaurant. But I want to tell you, friend, when Jesus Christ came, and when we invite him into our lives, we get a little taste of heaven. Okay? Yeah, we have trials and tribulations. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, we have failures. Yes, we have grief. Yes, we have guilt. But I'm going to tell you, not everything is gloom and doom. Psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And maybe that's why. It just all comes together to me. The sweet by and by is the sweet here and now. When we all get to heaven, there's some of heaven here. And that midnight cry, Jesus has already been here once, and the world's a different place because of it. And that may be why on the way here this morning, I just had this overwhelming feeling as I came down Carswell Avenue. What a privilege to go to Sweat Memorial Baptist Church this morning. And what a privilege to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, friend, there's good in the world. 
It's not all gloom and doom. It's not all dark. And the good comes because Jesus came that he might deliver us from this present evil age. There's a third part here out of 28. Y'all ain't listening. I know it. I know you're not. I've been doing this all my life. I know you ain't listening. Number three, why deliver us? Why? Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Why? According to the will of our God and Father. All this is happening because God loves us. God loves us. Oh my goodness. Some people try to delineate the Trinity and I don't understand the Trinity. I doubt you'll ever hear me preaching on it, but I refer to it the best I understand. The three in one. And where there's God, there's the Son and the Holy Spirit. Where there's the Father, where there's the Son, there's the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen, you with me? And where there's the Holy Spirit, there's the Father and the Son. They don't split up and go different ways. But there are different functions and different points of history. And just as he's saying, there's coming a day when the Father will say to the Son, go get my children, there was a day, glory to God, that the Father said to the Son, my children are in trouble and I love them. Woo! Hallelujah! Go die for them and I'll raise you up and bring you back and I'll raise them up and bring them back. Why did all this happen? Because God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might not be condemned. In the early century, they mocked the early church for looking for the return of Christ. And they thought Jesus was coming back the next day, the next week, the next month. But it's been 2,000 years, friend. The apostle Peter has the best answer for that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, God's not slack concerning his promises. Jesus is coming back, friends. But he is patient. He's patient. God is patient, not willing that any should perish. And I raise the question, why didn't Jesus come last night? Why didn't he come this morning? Somebody here might need to get saved, amen? And aren't you glad he didn't come last night? And aren't you glad he didn't come this morning? And somebody by way of radio made me get saved. And I'm telling you, Jesus did this because God loves us and wishes us to be saved. And I love this quote from Thomas Aquinas, an 8th century theologian. God loves us not because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. Isn't that something? Whew. Amen. Boy, the holiness comes out every once in a while, and I just can't. Hey, man, I can't stop it. Don't want to. 
And so the last. Now what are we to do about all this? He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from a sinful world and give us some hope here and in the world to come. And he did it because God the Father loves us. And there comes that last phrase, and let me tie it all together, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory. Give God the glory forever and ever. Amen. Give God the glory. Praise Him. Honor Him. Give our life to Him as He gave His life to us. Accept this with great joy. And y'all would think, I just said the holiness came out, you'd think I was a Presbyterian sometimes because I quote all the time the shorter catechism of the Westminster Catechism. And it don't get any simpler than this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It don't get any better than that. And let me go back to C.S. Lewis. You know what he did from 1931 on until he died in the mid-60s? Glorified God. He glorified God. He became the voice of the faith for a world embroiled in World War II. He fought in World War I and in World War II. The government and everybody in the military recognized that he was a voice of hope. He was a light in a dark world for Jesus Christ. The British Broadcasting Company put him on the air four days a week speaking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The Royal Air Force begged him, pleaded with him to become a chaplain and encourage the troops. And he negotiated with them. Y'all ain't about to draft me again, are you? And he became a chaplain also to the Royal Air Force. And C.S. Lewis spent the rest of his life glorifying God. Glorifying God. And that's what we are to do. The chief end of our lives is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all want to hear this again? Third time's a charm for me, friends. But we're at the invitation. We're at the invitation. C.S. Lewis came through all kinds of twists and turns. Little girl in my office, it was simple and easy for her. But you know, the good news is they both got saved. They both got saved. And we sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never accepted Christ, professed Christ, please speak with me a moment. I will lead you in that simple prayer of affirming Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and that we believe it in our heart, and God forgive me of my sins and come into my life. This altar is always open if you want to pray. We're always welcoming folks into the life of this church. However God speaks to your heart, we sing a hymn of invitation. Will you come?